This is the Mulligans Podcast, a real estate podcast focused on the duo. We created this podcast to share the stories of real estate individuals who have built their business from the ground up or have lost everything and are working to get it back. I'm Hayden Wright. I'm Austin Cole. And And we we are your hosts. On today's show, we have Arne Sinadella. Arne has been in the real estate space for over 40 years, and he shares some great tips and tricks, um, some things he's learned over the the course of the last 40 years. And he has a really interesting approach to cash flow, and it's it's controversial, but um, it's really good, and it kind of makes you sit back and think a little bit. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Arne, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Hey, Hayden and Austin. Uh, Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to chatting with you guys. And hopefully we can provide some good information to your audience and kind of help them on their investing journey. Absolutely. That's the plan. So now you've been in real estate for about 40 years now, and you're you're based out of South Carolina. Uh, I know that's a recent move, but if you wouldn't mind, just tell us some, some other things about you. Well, sure. So I was born and raised on the San Francisco Peninsula, but at one point found myself back in New York City for a while, went to college, grad school, kind of did the thing, you know, we're all kind of expected to go to college and get a job and, you know, follow that pathway, follow that middle class pathway, you know, to success. And, um, I was in grad school, actually got a master's degree in chemistry of all things. Uh, But then uh, it kind of dawned on me, this really wasn't my passion. I enjoyed school. It was fun, but I didn't really have that burning desire to make original contributions to science and so forth. So I talked to my dad, who had started a real estate company in Menlo Park, California. He said, well, come on out, get your real estate license, and I'll put you to work. Uh, I had no idea what was involved. This was a residential company selling single-family homes, and um, got my license in 1978, and had the good fortune to sell real estate on the San Francisco Peninsula, basically Silicon Valley for... 35, 36 years till uh, my life partner and girlfriend, Laura, and I moved to South Carolina late 2014. Gotcha. Okay. So now when, when were you, when did the investing start? Uh, The investing, well, so I bought my first house in 1980. And to blow everybody's mind, I got a mortgage at 11 and three quarters percent. So (laughs) that's a little bit of a time warp. We'll put it all in perspective, 11 and three quarters percent. And uh, I still remember my monthly payment, $868 (laughs) and eight cents. The house was 107.5. So I guess you could say that was my first investment, but um, what transpired, I think many people do. Uh, we lived in that house for six years, started making more money, were able to buy something more expensive. So after about six years, we bought a home that the, my original purchase was a townhouse down by Highway 101, which is Bayshore Freeway. So people know San Francisco, that's eight lanes each way. My townhouse is right by the freeway. It was what I could afford. And 
it was great to get a start. So anyway, as we started to make more money, we moved to San Carlos, bought the single family home in the real nice neighborhood, and we kept my original house as a rental. Um, and so as my real estate career, uh, you know, moved forward and I started earning more money, I was able to invest uh, in real estate. My dad was a big investor. He primarily invested in single family homes. And so I just kind of followed his, his approach. And as money, as I saved enough money to buy a house, I do, would buy one. And over a period of 10 or 15 years, I probably accumulated 10, 15, 20 houses as rentals. Um, some in the Bay Area, but some in Austin, Texas, some in Charlottesville. So as my brokerage business did well, it allowed me the opportunity to invest in single family rentals. And that's basically what I did for 30, 35 years. So I built a sizable portfolio. And of course, investing in the Bay Area, those houses did well. Wasn't really a cash flow market, but they were appreciating value and proved to be a good investment. So a uh, single family investor, and I did that for decades and it, it performed well for me. I gotcha. Okay, so, so what were, I'll go ahead, Austin. So when you were investing in, uh, were you staying in that San Francisco area or were you branching off to other areas? I, I did both. So of okay. course... Uh, houses in the Bay Area are very expensive, but again, we're talking, I got in the business 78, bought my first property in 1980, bought my second 1986, and from there it kind of mushroomed. Uh, prices were going up, but course, back in the 90s, they weren't as high as they are today in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say about half the rentals I bought were in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then half were elsewhere, as I said, in Texas and Virginia. Um, and uh, so the local ones I managed myself, the one out of area, I hired property managers. So it was a mix, but basically single family homes, maybe a few duplexes. Okay. Now, what was your intention when you were buying these? Because you said you weren't really they weren't really cash flowing. So were you, you sort of banking on that, the long-term appreciation? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. And um, I may be a little bit of a contrarian here. Um, I'm sure you've all heard and your listeners have heard cash is king and cash flows right. number one. And I'm not going to say that's incorrect. I just have a little bit different perspective on it. Um so number one in the San Francisco Bay Area, and maybe my investing philosophy was skewed by the place I lived, because simply you could not really buy single family houses to cash flow. So if I could find a house where I could put 20, 25, 30% down and have it pay for itself, I felt that was a good investment. So there wasn't a negative cash flow. The property supported itself. And then I had a pretty good idea values would increase. And so it's an interesting um, question that I think everybody has to look at um, cash flow versus equity or capital growth. And kind of my philosophy was 
early in your working career up to maybe your midpoint of your working career, you're probably making pretty good money. You should be making enough money to support your lifestyle and you use the excess to invest in. And so if you're at a point where you're making good income, enough to support your lifestyle, in my mind, you don't really need the cash flow. What you really should focus on is capital growth. And so in your 20s, 30s, focus on capital growth, maybe 40s capital growth. And then as you get older and you start looking towards that time when you're going to retire, whatever that means these days, it's quite different than it was 30 years ago, then perhaps you start to shift your portfolio from capital growth to cash flow, because I would submit at the end of the day, your cash flow in retirement is primarily a function of your nest egg or your capital, right? You're going to get a certain return on your capital. And if you have more capital, you're going to get a higher return. So for me, it was invest for the long term. I think the other point is, for me, real estate's always been a long-term gain, long-term gain. Uh, Invest, make good decisions, buy good properties. And if you can do that on a regular basis over 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to be in pretty good shape. You're going to be pretty happy with what you do. And so I think like with your listeners who are thinking of getting into real estate, it's like, yeah, maybe buy that first rental house or two and just kind of get started and just put that money to work for you. And the way I always kind of describe it is just let time, population growth and inflation win for you. And I would say particularly today with great interest rates, if you can buy something, lock in a great 30-year rate, that loan's going to make you money over time. So I'm kind of a little bit more on the capital growth side than the cash flow side, though now that I'm older, I am switching my assets into more cash flow assets like multifamily. Gotcha. So obviously 40 years is a long time. That's much longer than Hayden and I have been on the earth. Uh, yes. Combined. Uh, <laughs> Interesting way of saying that, Austin. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, but, uh, so obviously something had to change from when you first started investing, how were you, how did you adjust from finding deals back in the eighties to finding deals with internet? Well, 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 sure. So that, that's a great question. So um, to give a little time warp, you know, when I first got into business, fax machines were new. Okay. And, you know, people were all enthralled about fax machines Um the realtors used to have these little black books that had all the listings. And every, every twice a week, the board of realtors would mimeograph off Xerox copy machine, mm-hmm. all the listings. So the realtors would go down, pick up the new listings, put them in their little black book. Uh, and then, of course, everything went online. Uh, and having everything online actually made my job easier and it makes realtors job easier because the information's there. It's instantaneous. You get updated also helps buyers and sellers because the data is more accessible to the general public than it was 30, 40 years ago. Um, 
at the end of the day, it's a people business and you still have to network. You still have to take care of people um, and your personal connections and your, your reputation within the community all makes a difference. So maybe the tools of the trade change, but I don't think the fundamentals of going about developing relationships and networks uh, for me, a lot of my business was by referral, repeat business with clients. You take care of people. Those people will tell their friends. And now you have kind of a built in database. So that's how I kind of did it. Uh, but certainly technology has helped. And we all now are attached mm-hmm. to these things, which back in the day, you would have a car phone that was almost two foot long that you pull out of your car and go like that. And now you carry around all this information. Uh, and of course it makes it really easy to keep in contact with people. And of course, social media is the rage. So uh, it's made, it's made being connected and networking a little bit easier. Right. Right. So now to go back a little bit, you, you kind of mentioned that you were getting out of the single families and switching over to multifamilies, are you 1031ing out of that? Or are you selling those off and trying to put that capital into multifamily? And sort of why are you doing that? Yeah, great question. Um, so um, I do all of the above. Okay. Uh, so I probably have done, I don't know, 12, 14, 16, 1031 exchanges for my own account. And it's a great way to kind of preserve your equity, not have the tax bite taken out of it. It allows you to trade up and buy bigger properties. And so on many of my own investments, uh, I have ended up trade 1031, 1031ing into those investments. And I would say probably five or six of the rentals I own now are a result of two or three 1031s prior, if you trace it all the way back from 10 or 15 years, because if you don't have that 20% capital gains tax bite taken out, you just have more equity to put down into the other property. So uh, 1031s is a great way to go for individual investors looking to kind of scale up their portfolio. this could get complicated as a active real estate professional. I can use the passive losses generated in real estate investment and multifamily syndications to offset my other income. So on some of my rentals, I've been able to sell. It's hard to, it's hard to 1031 into an exchange. It can be done, but it's difficult. So what I've done is I would sell my rentals, there'd be a capital gains due. But when you invest in a multifamily syndication, they generally use bonus depreciation, cost segregation to create a large year one tax write-off. And as an active real estate professional, I'm able to apply that against the capital gain. So effectively, I've been able to sell rentals, use the big year one bonus depreciation through syndications to kind of offset the gain. So 
I have 1031, and then I also use the the bonus depreciation offset gains. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So and, oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No. Oh, well, then to the other question about why did I go to multifamily? Uh, because I think that's a key question is uh, every year I kind of evaluate and probably more than once a year. Uh, I have a little spreadsheet that shows my rental properties how much rent I collect, what the expenses are, what the mortgage payment is, what's my net cash flow, and I have it all laid out. And I was looking at it maybe about two years ago. And while my equity was building with my single family rentals, I was maybe only getting about a three and a half to 4% return cash return on my equity, if that makes sense. Right. Where with multifamily, you can generally get seven, eight, nine percent on your equity. So one of the reasons I've switched is now I'm more focused on cash flow. I would say multifamily produces more cash flow than single family. Um, so that's reason number one. Reason two, and you can think about it, it's easier to keep track of. 20 apartment units in one location, as opposed to 20 single family homes spread out across your town. So it's a little bit easier to keep track of things and manage when you congregate your your income producing assets in fewer locations. So that's probably the other reason that I'm doing it. I gotcha. So earlier you mentioned that, uh, and I really liked how you said it, that you know you're you're taking a contrary approach to cash flow right and you're you're buying for the long-term appreciation because you enjoyed your job and you liked what you did and you weren't looking to retire from it anytime soon you were you were looking in that long-term play but now knowing what you know about multifamily would do you regret not starting out in multifamily do you think that would have been possible uh well, I'm not one that has many regrets I tend to be forward looking I mean I think we all make the best decisions we can at the time. And, and it was interesting because early in my residential career, um, I took the CCIM courses, which is a designation. It's a fabulous program, certified commercial investment member. And I went through all five weeks of the training and I was thinking of moving into commercial because I'm a, I was a science major. I love math. It seemed to appeal. Uh, but at that time, I was just recently married. My first son was on its way. And it was kind of like, do I give up what I know I have in residential to go to commercial? So right. I stuck with residential. And now, 40 years later, I've kind of come back to it. Um I think it comes down to just a personal preference. Um, And I think you have a key point. Um, If you have like a nine to five corporate type job and you have to be in the office and you have commitments and so forth, it's hard to manage a real estate portfolio where in my case, I was a real estate agent. I was running around town anyway, so it didn't matter if I was going to show a house or had to go buy one of my rentals, but somebody in the corporate office, he can't just go, Oh, I got to leave at 11 o'clock to meet the plumber. Right. So I think for 
professionals, salaried employees, perhaps going the multifamily route, perhaps passively as part of uh, a multifamily syndication makes a lot of sense. Uh, Let professionals kind of manage the property for you. You get great returns and it doesn't require a lot of your time. And I would say in 2021, life's pretty hectic, right? Between work, family, friends, your passions, whatever turns you on, nobody seems to have enough time. And so if you can make some investments with good returns that don't take a lot of your time, I think there's a lot of reason to go that route too. Um, And property management isn't for everyone. People can make mistakes. In some ways, it's just better let the professionals handle it and the the W-2 person focus on what they know best and concentrate on their career. Right. So in multifamily, what specifically are you looking at? Like, what's your criteria? And and why is that your criteria? (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, well, so... Right now, the multifamily market, as you know, is crazy, okay? I mean, house prices are high, but the price of multifamily properties is very high, and um, uh, cap rate, which is kind of a measure of the return off a commercial real estate property, used to be maybe you could get 7 or 8% cap rate. Today... In Austin, if you could get something at 3%, you'd probably be lucky. In Greenville, maybe 5% cap rate. Uh, I listened to uh, a big syndicator, a big data guy, and he said right now, average cap rates in the U.S. is about 5%. So there are, it's very difficult to find a screaming deal because the market is so competitive. So What I look for is, well, let me back up. I've never had a problem paying market value for a property. Uh, If I like the property, if it's in a good location, there's some quality to the property, and I have some reasonable expectation that in the future, rents will go up, values will go up. That's enough for me to make it be a go investment. Um, On occasion, maybe you can find a deal, but I prefer let's just pay market, put your money to work. There's an old expression, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And I think there's a lot of reason to that. So to come back to uh, the question and give you some metrics. What I would say now is if you could buy multifamily and project out five to seven years, if you could get an average cash on cash return of six, seven, or eight percent, maybe with an internal rate of return of 13, 14, 15, maybe a annual rate of return 17, 18 percent. I think that's probably as good as you can go without putting yourself in a real risky situation. So um, is it an area where jobs and population are growing? So that's kind of number one. Uh, If it is, you have good reason to believe rents and values will increase in the future. Uh, 
Um, and the way I kind of look at it is when I buy a multifamily, um, I don't really look at what it's doing now. I kind of look at more where it can be in 12 to 18 months. So I'm willing to buy something, put the work in to get the property to perform, could be by renovating it, by better management, whatever, increase the income, get rents to where they should be, so that in year two, the property's performing nicely and actually generating off some good cash flow. I think it's hard to get that right out of the gate. I'm willing to give it 12 to 18 months. Again, looking long-term, what's it going to be doing in five to seven years? Right. Okay. So what are some of your, what are some of your goals in the next three to five years? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'd like to continue to grow my multifamily business. So I've basically been in the multifamily space about two years, uh, though in real estate for a long, long time, and um, actually just got a letter of uh, letter of intent accepted on my fifth deal. Nice. Uh, maybe it's my sixth deal. Uh, not a big one, 42 units, $3 million wow. in, in a nice, nice major city in, in North Carolina, about three hours from where I live. So to date, I've maybe done about five syndications. This will be my sixth. So I would just like to kind of continue on that path. Um, You know, if I could do three, four deals a year, that would be great. Um, For me, it's a lot about the relationships. Um, real estate's been good, good to me. If I can help people improve their lives, create more time, less stress, more security, a feeling of well-being by helping them invest their money, get them a good return. That brings me pleasure. And, uh, I have fun doing it. So I enjoy it and I'll just continue on this path. I don't have any goal to create a, $500 $500 million company. That's not right. where I'm at. Uh, I'm 67. So, um, uh, you know, just to put that in perspective. So I do it because I enjoy it and it helps people. Yeah. Gotcha. Now I know Austin has a question, but real quick, how do you keep deals coming across your desk? Is that, is that through networking primarily? Uh, yes. And, yeah. um, as you well know, uh, Houses are all sold through MLS, right? right? You get on Zillow, you get on Trulia, you can find any house and anywhere in the country for sale. Okay. Well, in commercial real estate, there's not really an MLS, right? There's LoopNet and there's a few others, but really you have to develop relationships with the brokers who sell the kind of property you're looking for. So, If you're trying to find a two or three million dollar multifamily property in your area, you probably don't want to go after the broker who's selling seventy five million dollar apartment buildings because it's just not going to be a match. So I would say identify the brokers in your market areas. It could be where you live or elsewhere. Identify the brokers in the market area that kind of handle the properties that you want to go after. And then it just takes time to develop those relationships. Um, The last deal I did, which is 43 units here in Greenville, South Carolina, it was with a broker 
I had met maybe two years ago, went to lunch with him a couple times, played golf with him once or twice. He showed me four or five properties. They weren't right. But every two or three weeks, I would check in with them. Hey, Jonathan, you got anything for me? And because they're very busy, they're getting calls from a lot of people. And so you just need to kind of keep top of mind. So it would be networking, uh, just letting people know what you're doing. Because the other part of this is you need to raise capital. When you find a deal, you're going to need to find investors. So you let your friends, family, your business associates, your social sphere kind of know. And what I found is most people want to invest in real estate. And maybe they haven't because they don't have the time or maybe they don't have the knowledge. So if you let them know what you're doing, yes, hey, I just bought this 10-unit building over here. Trust me, their ears will perk up and they could become potential partners down the road. So network with investors, network with the brokers, and just keep working that. Uh, Look at all the property you can see. And if you don't like it, still get back to the broker and tell them why you didn't like it, right? Because you don't want the broker to send you something and then you get no feedback. He's going to go, well, is this guy really that serious? Um, The other thing I would say is if you're looking out of area, if you identify a market that you're interested in that's not in your hometown, take the time, spend the money to go there. Because if you get face-to-face with these brokers, they're going to go, well, hey, look, Hayden just flew across the country to come here. He spent a week to look at property. I know Hayden is serious, whereas if Hayden's just calling in, they get mm-hmm. they get 20 calls a day. So I'd say right. visit the market and start developing relationships face-to-face. Show that you're serious. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So- in your 40 years of investing, what, if you could remember, what's the single biggest mistake that you have made and what lesson did you learn from that mistake? Well, okay. So, um, at one point, uh, I bought a new condominium on the big Island of Hawaii. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. So, uh, this was back in like 2005, 2006, when the real estate market was super gangbusters. Um, And then when 2008 came, the subprime crisis, uh, my income dropped. So I had to kind of sell that property at a loss because the values had dropped and I didn't really have the income to support it. And I probably lost about $100,000 on that deal. I didn't like that, but you know, if you're going to you know, if you're going to invest, hopefully you have a lot more winners than you do losers. So I would say the lesson is anticipate downtimes coming. Because down times will come. You don't know when, but you know at some point the economy is going to slow, the market's going to slow. So I think you have to anticipate and remember that even when things are going gangbusters, it's just like 
the real estate market from 2012 to COVID was straight up like a rocket. And so if that was your only experience, you wouldn't understand when some slow times happen. Um, so anticipate some downtime. Number two, don't get over leveraged. Hmm. You know, you may, maybe you could buy stuff with 10% down. No, put 20, maybe put 30. Give yourself a little cushion. And then the other big thing will be have sufficient capital reserves. So when the unexpected happens, something happens, uh, you have the capital to either make the repair or ride out the tough times. Because I think long-term real estate's going to win. And the trick is just to anticipate those downtimes, have the cushion to be able to ride out the downtimes because eventually the long-term trajectory is up. Uh, and um, again, this may be contrary. A lot of people say go big right away. Right. I think there's more a foundational path that if you incrementally grow your real estate and business or investing business, it's a little more solid of a platform. So I think kind of grow in incrementally slow and steady. And again, other people go big out of the gate. It works great. I'm just saying what I've done and each person's got to figure it out for themselves. Right. No, that's great. Yeah. So now we're going to go ahead and get you out of here. Aren't we appreciate it. But one last question, where can people find more about you? Well, thank you. So uh, my gr business group is Spark Investment Group. Uh, URL is investwithspark.com. Uh, email is arn, A-R-N, at investwithspark.com. And my cell phone, which I kept from the Bay Area, is 650-575-6114. Uh, you know, Anybody who wants to talk real estate, just reach out to me. I'm glad to help. Uh, so I enjoy, you know, talking real estate, obviously, and uh, would 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 love to help anybody that I could. Well, great. Well, yeah. Arn, we really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, um, Aiden. Thanks, Austin. Just, yeah, it was great to hear about, you know, things that have changed in the last 40 years, as well as, you know, your own personal experience. So appreciate you being on. Uh, appreciate the invite. Great to meet you guys. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening to the show. We hope you gained something from today's episode and put it into action right away. Please make sure to share, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram and TikTok at mulligans underscore underscore. This helps us to grow and share more great stories. My name is Austin Cole. I'm Hayden Wright. Signing, Signing off. off.